Hello again and welcome back to the show. I go by the YouTube user handle Anubis2814 and today we are going to be again discussing anarchism, an idea most people think of as chaos and disorder but actually was a long-held, once solid ideology forgotten by most Americans that competed with socialism, capitalism, and communism in the late 1800s. Please listen to the last video which is more a setup and critique of modern anarchs. The following script was written right after I read and reviewed Anarcho-Syndicalism by Rudolf Rocker, an anarchy theorist. Since this video was written, I have gotten some of my anarch friends to better frame and state their positions, and the YouTube user Noncompete has been the most succinct person to clarify the anarchist position and how it would work in a real-world system. I have a few disagreements with him, but it is much better clarified, and I highly recommend watching his series on how anarchism would work Link in the show notes. So here we go. Violence and my review of Anarcho-Syndicalism by Rudolf Rocker. As I said last week, after dealing with some anarchs in a rather heated debate on the discussion of the use of violence, I exasperatedly finally asked a series of questions and of course they couldn't answer me and instead just directed me to Rudolf Rocker's book, Anarcho-Syndicalism. An interesting read to be sure, especially as it was written in 1938. In the video prior, I discussed the failure of modern anarchism, according to Rocker himself, and how it's a shell of its former self, as it can't organize its way out of a paper bag in most nations, and tends to just be an excuse not to bother to vote. If you're an anarch, if you're not going to be bothered to do the very basics of voting, learning to organize is the very basic level you have to do. The first three chapters were mostly stuff I had heard of before. Evil state, people good, lots of name dropping on the evolution of anarcho-theory. It was chapter four where things started getting interesting and realizing that organization and federated unions were the essence of anarcho-syndicalism, a system that would still become an establishment and could be corrupted into something not so great if not implemented right with little oversight, but sounds like a compelling argument if pulled off right. Anarchs, especially in the U.S., should be well aware of the biggest political fighters against Taft-Hartley that killed so many Union powers and turned it into a mind-numbing bureaucracy Rocker warned about, instead of a robust, growing, educating force with the power of the strike and the boycott on its hands. But then he got to some compelling points about violence. Young anarchs get a hard-on for violence. They think it's the best and only way to create change and sing its praises. However, Rocker, who some anarchs admire so much, places it as the very last resort as well, though when well-organized are some of the best and most strategic at it. First, it's the strike, from wildcat strikes of one office in a company, all the way out to mass general strikes. There are also boycotts. If that doesn't work, sabotage of equipment also works. The very last stage is violence, specifically if the government or company utilizes violence themselves. Mind you, violence in British English and American English mean two different things. In British English, self-defense is a form of violence. In American English, violence is always an attack and differs from self-defense. This doesn't even begin to sound like any anarch I know. Many seem to think we should be in the city, curb-stomping cops and Nazis and burning down and eating the rich right now if they could figure out a way to organize a torch and pitchfork mob large enough to do so. But the excitement is much of what drew them to begin with. Much like I view politics as the first line of defense, it's long and boring, but you have to keep fighting and educating and organizing to get people on your side, and if politics have catastrophically failed, then you need violence. Violence is what you use when all the other options have failed, and it's a long, slow change, but it was set up to be that way, but it's possible. 
Jumping to violence immediately while not going through the boring, unexciting stuff to cause change is morally wrong. Yes, violence against blacks and trans people happened by the police, but they have always been like this, and until you try to use a political solution, which most people have not done so, violence will just give the government the ability to stomp your entire ideology group, not helping anyone. Organizing and activism to get more money for public defenders, reorganize and require higher standards for cops, and ensure that there is oversight in prosecutor-police cooperation and prosecution is really the only way to reduce and stop police brutality. Violence will stop it from happening that one time, while you end up in prison or dead, and unlike many nations, in Rocker's time, we have a method to change the laws. Most of us just don't feel like it or know how, and violence is the only way to change things out of helplessness. Rocker viewed violence as the exact same way, just not with politics, but organizing unions and solidarity. He saw a decline in anarcho-violence over time, though also saw the unions as the best organized system, if organized correctly, to defend with violence against state violence. White conservative males like the Bundy family can break laws and damage property and get off with a light slap on the wrist. The state fears violence from them, so they get special treatment. Not because they themselves are violent. Them being violent as individuals would be laughably easy to crush. It's the organized white religious militias they fear that could coordinate and move if they needed to. Why I'm really nervous of them if Trump gets impeached as they may activate and begin to cause guerrilla warfare violence. No one fears anarchists like they do these days. They have no organization. They appear to be more hyper-idealistic hippies with a violent streak, but with no organizing power. So while the FBI may keep tabs on them from lone wolf attacks, what made early anarchs a force to be reckoned with was their master organization and education platform, making them one of the few organized groups to immediately rise up and fight the fascists on their own, in their own nation, while other unorganized groups fell quickly. Modern anarchism appears to mean idealistic, unwavering, lone wolf, and anti-all organization. Anarchism in the past was democratic in spite of disagreement and education and debate to change minds, but solidarity and consensus building. If you haven't done that and don't have an organized force, don't even bother with violence. You'll just hurt your cause more. Violence is the lazy way out, and if well organized and a threat alone, there's no reason for violence at all. Individual violence is pointless. Only organization brings power to the people. But that requires putting up with and cooperating with people with entirely different viewpoints and beliefs and finding consensus, which becomes more and more impossible with more internet bubbles. If you idealize violence, you missed at least Rocker's point entirely. He praised the anarchist movement in Spain the most, who at the time were fighting the Spanish Civil War, though sadly the anarchs, liberals, and communists turned on each other eventually over libertarian versus authoritarian systems, which allowed Franco to win. Before I read this, I was likely to blame the anarchs, knowing what I knew about their modern form, but now I'm pretty sure it was the communists backed by the Kremlin at the time that caused the problems, and wanted a Marxist-Leninist state. The last chapter was about the history of the labor movement, which was also good to know, and the lament of how badly the rise of the Soviet Union went, as Stalin ended up trying to control the international labor groups while tossing socialists and anarchists in prison left and right. So, there we have it. It was a book worth reading, though if you know anything about anarchist philosophy, skipping to chapter 4 is possible. 
The book moved me from 75% Anarch to probably 80%, as I think the Syndicate could replace about 80% of the government, though I still think a check and balance from government and dealing with other nations still requires a government body. Though, if they step out of line too much, the Federated Syndicate is constantly well-organized and politically savvy enough to immediately strike and prevent the need for violence, and the government will take notice. Until you're involved with a well-organized collective, don't call yourself an Anarch. You're just apathetic and idealistic. But then, you're an Anarch, and I can't tell you what to do anyway. So like I said, I've since found Non-Compete's video series, and you should definitely watch it if you want to know even more about the subject. I'm still not a full-on Anarch. I'm a Mutualist, which was the first generation Anarch, which means that while I believe that government can still provide certain services, such as health insurance, maybe a universal basic income, or food and housing stamps, a defense force, climate regulations, and education, which, just through economics of scale, and not having to advertise, and the ability to negotiate prices down through contract, these things are just cheaper through a large government. Corporations, however, are inherently and have always been evil from their inception. They were, as we know them today, essentially illegal in the U.S. for the first 100 years, and all corporations need to be turned over to and owned and run through worker cooperatives through a mix of representative and direct democracy, so that as automation destroys jobs, the workers won't be left out of the mix and say, unlike distant shareholders, they have to live with the consequences of any decision the company makes, and people at the top are often quite terrible at making company decisions about anything long term, and if they crash the business, they still get golden parachutes, while all the workers get laid off. Please subscribe, and if your podcast site has the option, give me a like or review. To learn about the long, brutal history of corporations, please check out my new four-part YouTube documentary, Corporations have always been evil. You will find the history of corporations are much darker than you ever dreamed. If you think what I have to say informed you, consider supporting my Patreon. I'll be doing the podcast weekly and try to get it out on the same day. So I hope to see you there next week, ready to be filled with new ideas. Take care. A big thank you goes out to Elias Garcia Guevara and Joe Taylor, who sponsor the show at $10 a month at the Wapawet level on Patreon. Please consider donating as well if you can, and thank you all for listening.